Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Jerry Petito Show on Remember Then Radio. First, I want to give a shout out to RTR and the two owners, Stevie and Angel, because without them, guys, we wouldn't have this platform. And without this platform, guess what? I wouldn't be having this interview today. You know, I have to say hello to a couple people first before I even introduce my incredible legendary guests, because they're the reason that this actually happened. John Munforto, the official Philadelphia Rocky, he introduced me to a friend of his who has many contacts. Her name is Lois Lipton, and she is now a friend of mine. And it was because of her that I actually got this interview today. So this is my very first recorded interview on RTR. I hope everyone enjoys it. Again, I am incredibly, incredibly honored to even be doing this interview today. Hello, everyone. Drum roll, please. The Geeter with the heater, the big boss with the hot sauce, Philadelphia's broadcasting pioneer and legend, the one and only Jerry Blavitt right here on the Jerry Petito Show. Somebody pinch me. Hello, my friend. How are you? You are the greatest thing that ever happened since radio. The fans <laughs> out there listening to this young lady, she is a major star. And I'm not talking about Sally Star. I'm talking about this star. <laughs> You're amazing. Listen, let me hold it. Before you start, how's a little girl like you that was born in 1961 know all about this wonderful music when you were just a little girl? I started... A year before you were born. All right. I, I'm going to share something with you. And I say this on a lot of my interviews on RTR because that's where all the music is. I, I'm on five different networks. But what I always say when I play the oldies and, and I do the shows with the music is this. I say, I was born too late. And the reason I say that is I should have been a hippie in the 50s. I would have had a black leather jacket on, a ponytail and a poodle skirt. I was a huge Elvis fan and oldies and hip hop and here I am and never in a million years did I ever think I was going to be interviewing you. I mean, think about that. 1961 I was born and I listened to you most of my life and here we are today. Well, listen, I got to say, you just said Born Too Late, a great song by the <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Why was I born Okay, you're right, baby. I know the song, honey. You know, um, I'm going to give you an opportunity to talk about anything it is you want to talk about today because there's just so much. But, but before we start with that, I want to just bring something up. They also called you the rebel jock that rocks the big clock. The rebel jock that rocks the big tick-tock on the towel power. <laughs> the reason that I said the rebel jock, I was not doing what other disc jockeys were doing. I was not playing format radio. I was picking my own music. I would not let a program director dictate to me. If I liked something, if I had a storyline that affected me as a kid growing up in a relationship with a girlfriend or a girl, the lyric hit me. The lyric I would play, I shared my life with a young teenager, with the dancing and the rhythm beat, because I became, I began as a dancer. 
It was Little Richard. It was Chuck Berry. It was Fats Domino. But more important, the Black Cats. I'll give you an example. In the early days of rock and roll, the major record companies, Mercury, Decca, would cover all of the R&B artists. Sweetly D, which was the real hit mm. by Laverne Baker, as you know, Georgia Gibbs, mm. had the hit because nationally they had the distribution. But me as a kid, I always was inquisitive. Music always hit my ear. And pretty lady, if you read my book, You Only Rock Once, you will see that I came from a broken family. My father was a Jewish racketeer. He was in and out of the can. He ran away and he married my my mother who was a little Italian girl. Back then, you're not supposed to marry out of your religion. Mm. He, he was 21. She was 16. She was disowned. He was disowned. It's all in the book. So I was raised by nuns. But one thing I always heard in the family when I was with the Italian side was music. Yeah. Music. And during the loneliness of me, because we were outcasts, Roberta and I, because of the fact we had a Jewish father. And, you know, back then, as I said, you know, you didn't marry out of your faith. So music was always a part. And when I went on radio, I was doing a talk show. Uh, and the club that I was doing it from was shut down because of a snowstorm. So I owned the time, and I went up to this little station in Camden, WCAM, 250-watt station, and I started to play Little Richard, Fast Domino, Laverne Baker, The Platters, Frankie Lyman. Kids were surfing the dial. And when they heard this music, which was an oldies to me, it was new to them. Wow. And they flipped over it. So I figured I'm not going to do a radio show from a club. I'm going to do it from a studio. And that's when I said, I'm doing something completely different than radio is doing. So I became the rebel jock. I love it. That rocked the big TikTok on the tower, tower clock. The TikTok was the clock. When you go across the Benjamin Franklin Bridge, Camden <laughs> City Hall, you see it going across the bridge. I broadcast on the 18th floor, which which right above the clock. So I was a rubble jock rocking the big tick-tock on the Tower of Power clock because that signal that WCAM had was amazing. I mean, it would bounce right off the river. So that's how that became the rebel jock. It's <laughs> amazing. Um, you know, I remember growing up, I remember being in the car with my parents and saying, put on the gator, mom. You know what I mean? Like, I like, and here I am. Can we talk about your age? Can we tell everyone? Yeah, listen, listen. Youth is a gift of nature. Age yes. is a work of art. Yes. If you love what you do, pretty lady, you will grow old, but you will not get older. Mm -hmm. You can grow older, but you ain't going to grow old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I've been blessed. I've been blessed to follow a career which began when I was 13 years of age. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting because I began as a dancer in the book. You read that on Bandstand. Yep, on Bandstand, yes. Right. And and I uh, 
stuck in the bandstand with the kids from South Philly, and there was a dance contest going on. I was 13. You had to be 14. I got into the dance contest <laughs> with a girl called Joe Mizzou from the neighborhood and won the dance contest. So all of a sudden, when I went back to South Philly, I got people saying, hey, we saw you dancing on bandstand. Beep, 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 beep. And I became a regular. And I got into another dance contest. And I won that contest. And Bob Warren, the host, said, look, no more dance contests. We also know that you're not 14, but you're getting all fan mail. You're one of the most popular kids on the show. We're not going to, we can't let you chase you. But what we're going to do is no more dance contests, but we're going to make you the head of the dance committee. You're going to pick the kids that rotate from the stands onto the floor, the committee. I became the head of the committee. He then said, what time do you get out of school? I said, I'm off at 2.15 <laughs> Southeast Catholic Bishop The show starts at 3.30. He said, can you get up here at 3 o'clock? I want you to pick the records that we're going to pick for rate the record. And also, uh, you'll be the head of the committee. You'll get $15 for doing this. And you'll also greet the guests that come on to the show. So I would go up the bandstand. I would be there by three. I would be in the office. I would pick the records. I would pick the original record of Little Darling by the Gladiolas and say, Bob, this is the original. I would pick Tutti Fruity by Little Richard, not the version by Pat Boone. Okay. Uh, and all of a sudden, Bob Warren is playing the original records by the black artist. And, you know, that's the way it began. And then as the head of the committee and then as the guy that would greet the guests, when the show would go live, I would be dancing and the guests would be in the wings. And I would go to Frankie Lane and say, Mr. Lane, when, when Bob Warren says we have company, you hit that mark and you lip sync your record. I did that with Patty Page and Joni James. Uh, I did that with... Uh, Every major star, Vic Damone at that time, the yeah. races, that was the music of the day. Yeah. And there was a little guy that did a show, a Broadway show, which they were trying out in Philadelphia called Mr. Wonderful. Uh, his name was Sammy Davis. <laughs> so I went over and I said, Mr. Davis, when Bob Warren says we have company, that's your mark and he's going to talk to you. He said, man, let me ask you a question. Where'd you learn how to dance like that? <laughs> I said, hey, man, every, every, we all dance like that in South Philadelphia. We try to impress the girls. Well, he broke up. He said to me, man, you got the moves. You're like like a little white me. <laughs> I love I it. Said, <laughs> I said, what? It was Sammy Davis Jr. And we became friends throughout my entire show business career. Uh, he, would do, he would do my TV show. Uh, when he uh, he got married in Philadelphia, he married. I was his best man when he married Altavis uh. in Philly. And uh, to the end, when he died, May the sixteenth, nineteen ninety, I zipped him up in California. We were dear friends. I became Don Rickles' valet. This is even before I was the Rebel. Jock. That's so cool. And with Don Rickles, I met Sinatra. I also had a group called Danny the Junior. Yes. Song at the Hop. Yes. Uh, 
but my career was even before radio. Right. I wanted to be always in show business. And I can tell you the interesting thing about my life. Frankie Valley, Frankie Avalon, Little Richard, Dion Warwick, all of these people that I played their music, we became friends. Mm. I not only was a disc jockey playing their music, I respected them and they respected me. And with Sinatra and Sammy, people say, how were you so close with these people? And you became friends because I respected, I was in awe of their talent, but I respected them and they respected and saw something in me that they saw in themselves. And that's what performers are about. Performers help other performers if they see something in that performer that reminds them of themselves. This is even before radio, you see. And to this day, all of these wonderful people, Gary U.S. Bonds, Ronnie Isley, Dionne Warwick, Gladys Knight, we're friends, Gary U.S. Bonds. Uh, and we talk all the time, you see. So I've, I've been blessed. I've been blessed. Listen, anytime you want to hook me up with any interviews, baby, I'm in. <laughs> uh, but, you know, all kidding aside, you have been inducted into the Hall of Fame, not just once, a few times. Tell us about well, that. Well, I, again, to be recognized by your peers. Yeah. And you, it is a heartwarming thing because it says to you that you've been doing the right thing all of your life. I didn't follow format radio, as I said to you. I played music from my heart, not a research chart. I identified on radio with my audience. I became almost like a mentor to them. I would go to the high schools and I would talk to the senior classes, to the junior classes. These were listeners that would invite me. Their parents, if there was a problem with their parents, they would call me, Guido, how should I handle this? My mom doesn't understand. My dad doesn't understand. I said, well, look, take your time. You know, take your time. They'll understand. So I spoke for these kids as their parents would speak to them. And that's the blessing of my, my life. Even to the day, I mean, I've got people come up with me with certain problems, and I talk to them and what they should be doing medically and things of that. You know, so it's been heartwarming, all of these things, really. You know, when I first talked to you before this interview, you, I didn't expect you to be so down to earth and just incredible. I expected you to be very nice, of course, but you, you're just like the average person. And the way you connected with all these kids over the years, that's what blew my mind as well after I learned it. Well, you know, radio back then belonged to the kids. Yeah. Radio kids listen to radio. Nighttime radio, when I was on, was the most important time for ratings. Because if you had a nighttime listenership of young kids, when they would go to bed, the parent would turn the radio off. When the kid went to school, the mother would turn the radio on. And if she liked what she heard, she would keep the radio on all day. 
That was the rating process. Mm. And it all began because of nighttime radio. Parents that listen to nighttime radio, they watch TV. Kids listened to the Geeter. They listened for lovers only. They listened for the dedication. They listened for me to talk about them and their schools and the records that they liked. Uh, so I was, you know, there was a big article written for the Saturday Evening Post. It was by Bruce J. Friedman. Okay. Who was a tremendous writer. He also wrote screenplays and it was called The Number One Cat. Oh. And it, and it was National Saturday Evening Post, like life was a big magazine. And it talked about this kid from Philly who was not only a disc jockey, but a friend and a mentor to the kids. And it was me. And it was... Look, I always wanted to have the freedom. And you said when I spoke to you first, I'm no different than anybody else. I, I mean, I am just blessed that I can be a voice for other people. The music I play, music that I wanted to play. If I liked it, I wanted to share it with someone. And I was right. I mean, the first to play Twist and Shout. Yep. The first to play Sherry. <laughs> the first to play Don't Make Me Over. The first to play He's So Fine. The first to play so many songs. Because I had the freedom. If a promotion man will come in, if he had five records, I would listen to it. And I say, hey, this is the record that's going to be a hit. And I play it. And it was a hit. I was gifted with an ear for music. You mentioned Sherry. Sherry Baby, right? Mm-hmm. Who the heck was that Sherry chick anyway? Do you know Michael Diamore? Yeah, sure. Michael he says Diamore. to say hello to you, first of all. But he sings Jerry Baby to me. Okay? <laughs> and, and I laugh and say, who was that Sherry chick anyway? <laughs> Well, you know, the song was written by Bob Gordio and Bob Crew. And it's a wonderful story that's in the book. I was at a convention in 1962 at the Fontainebleau in Florida. And Bob Crew was writing, before he did things with Gordio, with a guy by the name of Frank Slay. They had a song called Lottie Dog. They had a song called Silhouettes by the Rays. Okay. They were great songwriters. Yeah. When they split, Crew became a writer with Gordio, who originally was singing with the Royal Teens, a song called Short Shorts, a song called Believe Me. When he split, they got together with Frankie Valley, who was singing with a group called The Four Lovers, and they became The Four Seasons. But Crew produced and wrote with Gordio all the early hits. So at the Fontainebleau, all of the record guys were there, all of the record companies were there, and I was at the bar, and crew came up and we were drinking and he said, listen, you got to hear something I just cut with the Four Seasons. Okay. Gordio, he wrote it. He said, I think it's a smash. Morris Levy is interested in picking it up and putting it out on his label. So back, all of the record guys had these little portable record turntables where you could put it on and listen to it. You know, I think it, I think uh, Bilko probably may have uh, uh, develop this little pr- turntable, you know? So he plays and I said, Prue, it's a smash. <sighs> he says, I'm glad you think so. I'm going to see Morris at 4 o'clock. I said, great. 
Well, this is like two o'clock in the afternoon. I go up after we get showered. I'm going to come down to dinner with my manager, Nat Sigal. And we go to the bar, and there's crew at 6.30. And he's getting drunk. <laughs> so I said, yo, <laughs> my man, you made a score. <clears throat> he said, Morris hates the record. Oh. He said, for me to tell you that he, you lost your ear. Oh. I said, listen. I said to the bartender, give me the house phone. I called up Abner York, who was with BJ Records. Jerry Butler, Betty Everett, uh -huh. the Spaniels, uh, Curtis Mayfield, the Impressions. I busted a record for him called Make It Easy on Yourself by Butler. Uh, because I played it, and because I played it, the record stores were getting calls, and IBG went on it. IBG would listen to whatever I would play, and if the phones with the dedications lit up, they couldn't take dedications because it was format radio. Then they would add it to their list. So I busted Butler's record. So Abner knew I had an ear. So I said, I'm going to come up. I'm going to bring Bob Crew up. I want you to hear something which I think is a smash. So we go up. He's got these big speakers in his two suites. And he puts the demo on. And he says, Gator, you're right. It's a hit. I like it. Oh. He says, the, he says, the crew, tell me about this group. So crew says, it's Frankie Valley with the four lovers. It's Bob Gordio with the Royal Teens. Abner turns to me and he says, it's a white group? <laughs> and I said, yeah. Abner says, Geter, you know, we're a black label. We don't have any white artists. I love this, but I don't know if the black cats are going to play it. I mean, it's R&B, all R&B, all black artists on the label. I said, Abner, what's music got to do with race, color, and breed? I'll tell you, I'm going to prove it's a hit. I said to crew, can I play this demo? It was a demo, an acetate. I want to take it back to Philadelphia, even though it's got no label. I want to get a reaction from the kids. He said, do it, please. I went back to Camden. And I played Sherry two times a night. Mm. The phones lit up. Record distributors were getting calls from one stops. Record stores were getting calls for this record that Jerry Blavitt's playing called Sherry. <laughs> Nobody knew where it was. Nobody could get it. I get a call from mainline record distributors, which was the distributor for BJ. And he said, Blavitt. Barry Golden, his name was Blavitt. What's this record you're playing, Sherry? I said, it's the record you are distributing BJ that I wanted Abner to get. He said, Abner passed on it? I said, yeah. He said, he's going to call you tomorrow. Abner called me. He said, Ab Crew call me. You're right. It's a hit. We want to pick it up. The Four Seasons were the first white group ever in 62 to go on a black label. That's after amazing. That, after that, there were other artists that they picked up. You know, BJ had the first Beatle record. You know that? Wow. You know, and BJ also recorded other white artists. It's because of the acceptance 
that they got with the Four Seasons, first White Ox. Well, it was also because you insisted that you play it and they hear it. So well, you I, had a lot I, to do I with knew, that. I, I knew it was a hit. Yep, you had a lot to do with that. What? Same thing with Dion Warwick. Florence Greenberg, who owns Scepter. Bert Backrat said to me, listen, I want you to hear something I just cut with Dion Warwick. She's doing backup with sister and her aunt, Sissy, you know, Sissy. Sure. And her sister, Dee Dee Warwick. I heard it. I said, it's a smash. He said, Florence wants to release it with Tommy Hunt. I said, listen, give me it. I went back, played at stores, getting calls, Dion work, smash, baby, put a bop. Florence called me up screaming, you're playing the version I I wanted to put out. I said, Dion, this version is the hit. And she put it out, and the rest was same thing with Twist and Shout. Best. You know, with the honesty. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. So I've been blessed. Amazing. So I have a couple questions for you. Okay, baby. So, you know, music is a must for right. you to keep your joy, especially if it's Elvis, because Elvis is my boy. So, <laughs> having said that, Sweet Pea, I heard you kind of met him, huh? Yep. Tell yep. us. Tell us. I'll tell you what happened. Matt Stamino, as I said, a dear friend of mine at that time. He just passed a little while ago, several years ago. Uh, I had to fly out to California. It may have been the time when I did the monkeys. Uh, Fats was appearing at the Flamingo. So I had a layover, and I figured we flew into Vegas coming back. So I went to see Fats. He was at the Flamingo during the lounge act. And he didn't know that I was in town to see him. So... I sat right up front, and he saw me, because he had done my TV show, and we were friends, and he said, the gator's in the house, the gator's in the house. <laughs> and when Fats would end his set, he would end it with, when the saints, when the saints come marching, and everybody would be leaving the stage, okay, blowing the horn, and Fats would be... You know, that way in the Saints, and then he'd leave, and they'd be going through the audience singing when the Saints Saints. And he said to me, Man, come on back. Come on back in my dressing room. So I went back to his dressing room, and, you know, when Fats, he would sweat when he was on stage. So he had his valet back there, and he would take his shirt off, and he'd be all would toweled up because he was sweating. And I'd be facing Fats, and the door would be behind me. Okay. So there's a <laughs> knock on the door, and, and Fat says to Bernard, his valet, hey, open up the door, see who it is, see who it is. So Bernard went to the door, opened up the door, and he came back to Fats and said, whispered in his ear, Fats said, let him in, let him in. In walks Elvis Presley. Mm. Now I got my back to him, and he goes to Fats, and I look at him, man. He was in Vegas doing the one-man show they brought back where he sat in the audience, was dressed all in black with an audience. It was, I looked at this cat. I said, man, that ain't strange, but this cat's a really handsome dude. Yes, baby. <laughs> All right, handsome. He has a black leather, you know, and with the black pitch black hair. So Elvis says, to Fats, Mr. Domino, you know, I'm your biggest fan. And Fats says, 
Well, Elvis, man, you know I know everything you've done. And he said, by the way, tell to my man, the Geeter. Yeah. He turns to me and he says, Mr. Geeter, it's a pleasure to meet you. When I broke up, I said, Elvis, you don't have to call me Mr. Just call me Geeter. Uh, he says, I call everybody Mr. Uh, <laughs> down south, um, yeah. <laughs> we, we met and then... Sammy Davis was a big fan of his. Yeah. Big fan. And I, I saw him again with Sammy. But he was something. He, he he was something else. But, you know, I've met, listen, Sinatra. I mean, you know, I, you know, to be in the presence of these people, as I said, it, it, it it's it's mind-boggling. Mm. I mean, I'd, I'd sit with Frank and we'd have dinner together. I would send Frank out and and his wife, Barbara, macaroni. I would send Sammy at macaroni. Oh. Rickles macaroni from Philadelphia to Ludo's macaroni. Uh, so, but they looked at me as a person they could trust. Right. I, I, you know, I, I was a fan, but I respected their privacy and I respected their trust. And that's what it was, you know. Well, I um, never got to meet Elvis. I actually still have the ticket framed from 1977. He passed away before that concert. I was 16 um, in my Elvis poker room. I had an Elvis poker table made as well. Um, I got to interview his nurse, Marion, who I talked to her yesterday, actually, years ago. And I was supposed to meet Priscilla at one of the concerts, but then COVID hit and I got a hello from Priscilla. Um, And I'm going to be interviewing the gentleman that goes by Elvis, Aaron Presley Jr. Um, So, you know, now talking to you, who met him, you know, I would love to hug you. (laughs) I would love to hug you anyway. If you would have met him. Oh, please. I'd be in jail. He was was very, very humble. He he was, you know, and it's so sad. Yes. So many of the great stars, unfortunately, for some reason, got hooked on drugs and alcohol. Uh, uh, Frankie Lyman, right? I mean, you, you know Whitney Houston, right? Uh, you can go on and on Sad. and on. Drugs, Michael Jackson, right? You know when God gives you a talent, that is a gift from Him to you. It's a precious gift. You have to protect that. You have to appreciate that, and you have to know that you are in a position that young people are impressionable with not only the way you're seeing, but your lifestyle, the way you act. That's why when that movement came with drug culture, I stayed away from that, where all of these artists, they have a responsibility to the audience. You've got to be straight. The audience, as I said, are impressionable. Yes. And it's so sad with all this Yes, and and I, yes. I, I met him in his prime. Yeah, in his prime. You know, you know, and his grandson, his rest in peace as well, Ben. It's just, right, it's right. heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking, Jerry. You yeah, know, yeah. Um, I'm going to share something with you because it's interesting. You brought up God's gift and your talents. I write poetry. I'm an author and all that. And mm-hmm. in one of my poems, I talk about our gifts and our talents. And that's what it's titled, actually, Gifts and Talents. And and I say, you know, we're all given gifts and it's up to us to figure that out and honor God by using it and sharing it. And, and do wonderful things yes. that you're doing, talking to 
audience. That's yes. the important thing. When a light from God. Yes. You know, I tell the story about a fellow by the name of Saul, who was on his way to Damascus. That's right, baby. To, to persecute the Christians. That's right. And a light hit him. And the light said, Paul, why do you persecute my Christians? He became the greatest saint. That's right. In Catholicism. He saw the light. God saw something in this person that was a, a, a sinner, a persecutor of Christians. That's something that he needed for him to be the light of the world. When talent is given to you by God. Yes. That's the light of the world. Share that. Share it. Protect it. Yes. Give it back to the audience. I love that. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Truth. It's truth. the truth. truth. Yeah. I tell yeah. a lot of young artists, you know, I, I always say this to them. I ask them on my shows, I say, what do you think about you, yourself as a musician, as a singer, as a songwriter? And a lot of them will say, well, I'm very critical about myself and, you know, I, I'm good, but I just, you know, I'm critical and I stop them dead in their tracks and I say this, if we're capable of telling someone else how incredible they are, you need to be able to look into the mirror and thank God and say, thank you, I'm incredible as well. Listen, and another thing, sometimes you're going to fall. Yes. But the road is rocky. My life, if you read the book, has had ups and downs, but I never deviated from wanting to be an entertainer. I never intended to be a dish jockey. I began as a dancer. I began as a road manager. I began as a valet with Don Rickles. That's crazy. <laughs> I went through every facet. Radio, by the grace of God, happened by accident. I was shooting crap when I came off the road with Daniel Jr. shooting dice with the guys. The guy had a club. He said, I'm looking to do something to, you know, to build an audience, you know, in the club. I said, I'll do a radio show. He said, what do you know about radio? I said, listen, I've been on the road with Daniel Jr.'s. I've been to this job. <laughs> I, I know what they do. I know how they, they move. I, so he said, you'll never do it. I, I said, look, I got to make my number. I shot the dice. I made my number. He said, holy shit, if you're that lucky, I'll do a radio show. And I went and I bought the time. And I did a club thing. There was a snowstorm that closed the club down. I had the time. I owned the time. I got advertisers. I took my old records. And I started this thing, which to this day, still, I mean, a young person here has run around Sue for the first time. They sing along with it. A young kid hears, my girl, my girl. <laughs> they sing along with it. I mean, that's the beauty of music. It speaks to you. When these kids wow. would call me up and say, I just met Dieter, I just met Sue at the dance. I'd like to play something for me. I only have eyes for you. This is for Sue. She'd call, wow, play something for him, Tom. Okay, I got a song. You belong to me. So music speaks for the human experience through life. Amazing. That we experience, you see. 
You know, we've got about 10 minutes left and I want to make sure you have the opportunity to say whatever it is you want to say to all your fans because you have millions and millions and millions of fans. And I want what's happening with you now, what you want them to know. Well, I want them to know that I have appreciated the love and the respect that they have given me mm. through all of these years that I have been doing what I've been doing. If I did not find this passion for what I have, I have no idea where I might have been today. People say to me, well, if you didn't become the Geeter, what would you have done? Mm. I might have become a priest. I've always wanted maybe to teach, and I teach through my music. But I grew up in a world that will never be. There was a world of neighbors. There was a world of respect. You're on the corner. Where are you from? You don't belong here. You come back here again, we're going to kick you in the ass. You respected law and order. You respected. I looked up to older people who were smarter than me, people in show business that I wanted to emulate. It's a different world today. Right. All of those people, and the young people today, who understand who I am. I'm from an old school. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Regardless of race, color, or creed, or denomination, we're all God's preachers. Mm. Respect each other. Don't push, push, push. Respect each other. Everything will be the way it will be in time. It takes time for change. And that's what I am. I am who I am and I do what I do. It's amazing. You're amazing. Um do you want to tell them what you, where you, uh, you know, broadcast well, I, from I now? You, you know, you know, it's interesting, love. If they really want to know who, who this guy is, get a copy yes. of the book that I, you only rock once. There are three screenplays being made. Okay. This, but there is so much information from my childhood, from the loneliness, from the nuns being raised in Catholic school from Bandstand, from meeting Sinatra, who called me Matchstick, and we became lifelong friends. If you really want to learn what America was back then, and it will never be, I could never do today what I did back then. Amazing. Because it's a different world. But if you read the book, yes, you, you'll get a sense of where it all came from. Well, I'm going to order that book today. And when I get it, I'm going to text you a photo of me holding it. I and listen. I'll I'll give you. I'll sign it. You go online, Amazon.com. Yep. And it's still a bestseller. And you've got to read the reviews on this. Yes, I don't need to read the reviews. I need to just read it because, first of all, I'm honored. I want to say my thank yous to you first and foremost for giving me this incredible interview, Jerry. Listen, pretty lady, you found a passion. Don't let anybody take that away from you. No. And I would really like to meet you 
come and see me anytime, wherever I am. You know, I'm at Memories in Margate over the weekends. I'm at Bally's on a Thursday night beach bar from five, from four to six. I'm at a wonderful place in Atlantic City called The Showboat on Tuesday. It's called the Lucky Snake Arcade and Sports Bar. <sighs> from four to five, you can bring the entire family. And uh, then I'm in Seattle City at the Our House Pub with a happy hour. But more important, as long as God gives me good health, I'll be 81 July 3rd. Amazing. You know, and I still dance. And I, I know. Dance. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. You know, but that, that's, it's a rewarding career to know that in this universe, I've made people happy. And I've helped young people sometimes who lose the way and found the way from the inspiration that I've given to them. So that's it. Well, I want to say thank you and a hello to Lois Lipton because she introduced us. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. made this happen. When I, was, yeah, when I was in Delaware. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. thank you to her. And listen, I, you know, um, I love you. I've always love you. loved look, you. Just please stay in touch with Yes. Me. And whatever you need, you, you, you know, I'll try and hook you up with Frankie Valley and Avalon. Well, baby, and, and let's Bobby do Rydell. it. Listen, yeah. I had Bobby Rydell. I interviewed Bobby Rydell. Right. I want Frankie right. Ava- Frankie Avalon. <laughs> All right. I'll get it, though. All right? Oh, my gosh. Listen, I love okay. you. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much for this interview. You rock. Thank you, and stay well now, okay? Everybody, the Geeter with the Heater right here on the Jerry <laughs> Petito Show. Love you, baby. <laughs>